When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is comedian Angela Barnes. In 2011, she won the BBC New Comedy Award and hasn't looked back since. She has appeared numerous times on Mock the Week, Live at the Apollo and Russell Howe's Good News on the BBC, as well as Stand Up for the Week for Channel 4. Angela is also a regular on BBC Radio 4, having hosted Newsjack and the News Quiz and appeared on The Now Show. She also had her own series based on her debut Edinburgh show called You Can't Take It With You. Angela's had three sold-out Edinburgh shows and was due to perform her new show Rose Tinted this year at the festival before COVID-19 so rudely put the buffers on that. And she also co-hosts a podcast called We Are History with writer John O'Farrell. So I'd like to give a huge, almost famous welcome to Angela Barnes. How are you, Angela? I'm very well, thank you. You make it sound like I've been really busy. I don't feel like I've been that busy, but I guess I have. (laughs) (laughs) I will say one thing, though. Rose Tinted did happen. Um, that, that was my last Edinburgh show was in 2018. The one that didn't happen was this year's show, which was going to be called Hot Mess. Um, oh my but God. Apart from I've had, that... Do you know what? <laughs> I've had this issue before where it's clear I've been reading from like Wikipedia far too much. Oh, Wikipedia. Yeah. Wikipedia had my but... home, the place I was born wrong for so long and wouldn't let me correct it. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I I always think you're from Brighton. Is that right? I live in Brighton, but I'm from Kent originally. I grew up in Maidstone in Kent. Yeah, but I do live okay. in Brighton. So, yeah. But apart from that glaring fuck up, uh, what did you make <laughs> of your intro? Well, like I say, it was just a bit sort of, oh, yeah, I have been quite busy since 2011. You sort of think that you're kind of plodding along. You're like, oh, I'm not doing enough. But when you hear it read out like that, it's like, oh, yeah, I have done some stuff, haven't I? That's nice. Do you- <laughs> Do you think that's a do you think that's a human nature thing as a performer that we always think we could be doing more or we look at people who are doing as we perceive to be more and want to be in those those people's shoes? I think so. Or I think with me, I I naturally perceive myself as being lazy. Um and it's not really until I actually stop and go, "Hang on a minute, you're you're always doing something." I think, "Well, maybe I'm not as lazy as I think I am." But also, I think I have what I call clinical FOMO. Like I, this is why I'm loving being in lockdown so much because usually I'm like, what's everyone else doing? Everyone else is doing something that I should be doing. Whereas now I'm like, no, they're not. They're at home in their pants like you are. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, so I'm quite enjoying lockdown. But um, yeah, I think it are there, is. Are there, 
Are there any negatives to it at all for you? I mean, I've been asking, because these are the isolation episodes. I've been asking yeah. everyone I've interviewed remotely uh, how they've been finding it, but you're, you're finding positives. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a global pandemic and people are dying in their thousands. That's pretty negative. Um, but that aside, on a completely personal and selfish level, I was born to hunker down. Like, this is my... You know, I don't have to leave the house. Perfect. Um, and and the lockdown's been very kind. I'm one of the lucky ones. My fella uh, is able to work full time from home. So, you know, we're not, I, even though I've lost a lot of work, we're, we're all right. We don't have kids to worry about. You know, it's just us two and the dog. And um, and we're pretty happy. We got we got engaged in week one. So that was quite nice. Hey. Um, yeah. And uh, sort of now. Congratulations. I, thank you. I do wonder if like now we've been locked together for two months, if he still would have made that choice. But, you know, it's too late now. He put a ring on it. So that's legally binding, I believe. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, I believe that's uh, that's official. Definitely official. Uh, you mentioned a bit about it affecting your career. A lot of comedy has moved online have you had any experience of that is that something in terms of straight stand-up is that something you'd be interested in doing or is the radio stuff keeping you going well I'm busy because we're we're doing news quiz on radio 4 so that's keeping me nice and busy I have done a couple of online gigs I did um the covid arms which is the big one that Kiri McLean Kiri Pritchard McLean Mm -hmm. um has set up which is really that was really fun um but I haven't done too much of that largely because I am one of the lucky ones. Like I like I say, my fella's got his full-time income and I've got the news quiz and I've got a book that I'm working on. I've got a book deal. So I feel a bit like, you know, I shouldn't take that work away from the people where live comedy was their only income. Do you know what I mean? It feels a bit, for me, who is lucky enough to have other things going on, I felt a bit sort of mean, really. Oh, sorry, that's me left my WhatsApp on my laptop. Let me turn that off. Um, oh, just to look sorry. like you're popular. Sorry, I'm so popular. Look at that. <laughs> but yeah, I just I didn't feel I don't feel happy taking that work from from people who aren't as lucky as I am at the minute. So I'm not doing too much of it. I've done a couple of charity ones, you know, because I do a lot of work for charity, Barnaby. That sounded really. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, does fine. it does it work as a does it work in terms of straight stand up um, online with no obvious physical audience does it work as a format I, I haven't watched any myself so I'm asking a, a performer yeah. who's done a few what do you think I think I have to adapt like you can't do you know set up punchline and leave a gap for a laugh because that just is eggy um so I think what certainly what I did is just turn my my stand up into more like a monologue really I suppose um and and kind of Alan Bennett that thing you know and just and and I found that there's certain bits of my material that really lent itself to and certain bits it didn't so I just didn't do those bits um it, it's quite yeah. nice if you've got that I found as well there was stuff that I couldn't make work on stage in a comedy club because it was too much like storytelling well that does work in this so there was a couple of like stories that I was I was able to do that didn't I couldn't get to work on stage necessarily so that was quite nice mm. actually to have an outlet for some other stuff yeah amazing well yeah. let's thank Co- let's thank covid for getting your stories out there <laughs> yeah how would the world have survived without them it's all been worth it absolutely <laughs> uh so i always ask my guests this as well mm-hmm. um angela barnes are you famous no of course i'm not famous of course i'm not i find it really i've had somebody like a friend of a friend so, so are you famous and i was like well if you had to ask me that then the answer's no isn't it um you know it's uh I don't I suppose I've got a level of 
people knowing who I am. A lot of the stuff I do is on radio. So, um, which means that, you know, people don't necessarily aren't that familiar with your face. Um, so, you know, it's right. not like I can't walk down the street and people, um, I don't get recognized really. Occasionally it's happened more often than not. It's people go, have I worked with you somewhere, <laughs> you know, or something right. like that. They'll, they'll think I, they all know they've known me from somewhere we work or, um, but yeah, it's, it- but just to play, just to play devil's ad- advocate. Cause, um, I interviewed Reese James. He said pretty much exactly the same thing. And I said yeah. to him, well, Reese, how many times have you been on mock the week? And he was like 13. <laughs> and in terms of like, in terms of, uh, certainly in terms of, comedy on the BBC it's pretty much up there with with would I lie to you and have I got news for you in terms of you know stalwarts of of formats they've got how many mm. times have you been on what the week Angela I have done 20 episodes exactly so far yeah I mean that's, that's... even more than Reese. <laughs> <laughs> I so I have I'm the, just playing um... devil's advocate arguably I'd, I'd say you know there's certainly you know to, to to a great many people they'd say that you were famous I suppose it's such a loaded word, though, isn't it? Famous because it, you know, it. I don't feel famous, but I don't know if you ever do. I don't know, you know. I don't. It's such a weird thing, and I forget. I do forget sometimes. You know, you'll be. I'll be on a, a train or something. Um, obviously, not recently. Um, but and somebody will be looking at me. I'll be like, "Why is that person looking at me funny?" And I'll be thinking, like, you know, have I got a bogey in my nose or something? And then you go, "Oh, maybe they're just trying to work out where they've seen you." Um, yeah. and it, it's a weird that I had, um, I had a situation, this is about a year and a half ago. I, um, I had a nasty injury with a hot water bottle. I burnt myself quite, I've I mean, I got third degree burns on my chest. Um, oh my for, yeah, it was pretty nasty. And I went to, um, A&E in Brighton and I, I literally had on, I just had my chest wrapped in cling film. Cause that's what you're supposed to do with burns. Yeah. And I had like a dressing gown draped over my shoulders and just this scraggy old pair of leggings. And I got to A&E and the receptionist just looked up and she went, I know you, don't I? And there was just this horrible minute of like, A, I mean, this is not me at my best right now. And B, that's such a weird question to ask someone. I know you, don't I? It's like, there's no way I I can know who you know. You know, it's like going up to someone Mm. saying, I've got an itchy ass, haven't I? It's like, I don't know. Only you can answer that. Um, you know, and, and I was just, and also because we're in Brighton, which is where I live, she's just as likely to know me from the telly as she is to know me because we use the same ASDA or something. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's just this horrible moment where you sort of think, oh God, if I say well, you might have seen me on telly, then am I going to look like a <laughs> yeah, creep? Look like a wanker. You know, yeah. when it just turns out she lives next door, or you know, so it's just horrible. Yeah, things like that. It, it's it's awkward. I'm at that level of, you know, if you're Romesh, you can go, oh yeah, well you've probably seen me on the telly, and that's. The, but with me, because it's not that obvious, it's yeah. Um, um, yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. You, you used the word "loaded" when it came to fame. One of the main reasons why I started this podcast is because I find the word "famous" really grotty myself. Mm. And I grew up with, you know, my parents had some semblance of fame in their eras. My stepdad was famous in the '90s. Mm. So it's about kind of owning that feeling of grottiness and anxiousness to me is that a similar when you said the word loaded how does the how does the word famous feel to you there's something i think you you before you're in this weird world that we're in there's a kind of you assume that once you've seen someone on telly that means they're rich now you know that means they now live in a big house and don't ever have to worry about anything anymore and i can remember thinking that you know um now on this side of the fence, obviously I know that's not true, 
you know, I know that I earn, still earn less as a comedian than I would have done if I carried on in social work and becoming management or whatever, you know. Um, wow. You know, when you break it down. I mean, that surprised, that surprised me. So that really... That yeah. really does uh, go with what you're saying. Yeah, it's not. I live in a in a two bedroom flat in in Brighton. You know, without we don't have a garden. We don't. I'm not. I'm not loaded. Um, but I can understand that if people have seen me on telly, they think I'm part of some elite, and that just makes me laugh because I know that I'm not. You know, I know that I there's I shop in Asda. Um, you know, I get two for one bargains. I have to budget my budget. I have to. But I can understand why sometimes I have to remind myself on Twitter and things like that when somebody's having a go at you, go, oh, it's all right for you, you're, you know, on the telly, that they, that's the perception that people have of you when you're on the telly is that you're, you've got money now. And you're like, I haven't, yeah. <laughs> I really haven't. But, um, but I have to remember that to other, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm all right, I'm comfortable and I'm not complaining that I'm not skin and I'm not. Uh, on the breadline, you know, but I have been in the past and I'm terrified of going back there. And, you yeah. know, I haven't got loads of savings in the bank. I haven't got um, a big house mortgaged up to my eye, but, you know, it's, um, yeah. And and then once you realise that, it, it you ha- yeah, you have to remember what it was like to be the other side of that fence because I'm on the sort of bottom rung of the fame ladder, I suppose. And, and it's quite, you have to go, quite near the top before you're you know completely comfortable financially I think yeah so you're I mean because I was going to go into that bit later your Mm. your previous life your previous career before comedy but um in hindsight do you think having had that and getting into comedy a little later than some of the young whippersnappers (laughs) has really set you up to deal with with the difficult sides of it and the the kind of financial and security side of it better I think so. I think it's given me a healthy dose of uh, sort of cynicism. And I think you can tell when people are bullshitting you a bit more when you've had a proper job and you've lived a proper life. You know, I was 33 when I did my first open spot. So and I'm in my mid 40s now. You know, it's I I'm not a kid who can be sort of charmed into you're the next big thing and you're. I understand that the world doesn't work like that, you know, and I understand that sometimes people will say nice things to you because of what they want you to do, not because they genuinely believe those nice things. And I think that I can see how some younger people uh, or just less experienced people in life, you know, might be more open to exploitation maybe or more open to ending up doing things they didn't really want to do. Um, or that turned out not to be good for them because you haven't got that life experience to question everything. You know, I, yeah. I believe that some things are too good to be true. Um, you know, so I do question things and I do make sure um, that that every stage of my career I've been overcautious, I think. And I think that's helped. And so you never look back and think, oh, I wish I'd got into it 10 years earlier or or you do? I, sometimes I do. And then I remember that that when I was 23 rather than 33, you know, I wasn't equipped to, to do what I do now. I wasn't equipped to deal with, I was a very shy, anxious, and I'm still quite anxious, but, you know, I wouldn't have been able to deal with the, all the social media nonsense you mm. get and, um, you know, being judged in that way. And the fact is, if I had been equipped... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. 
Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To do it when I was 23, I would have done it when I was 23. You know, I, I think that um, I, I, I sometimes think, oh, all that time you wasted, you know, you could have been doing X, Y, Z, but actually I obviously wasn't ready. Otherwise I would have done it. Um, right. so yeah, I don't regret it so much. Um, I sometimes do in terms of, you know, being a woman in your mid forties has some disadvantages, uh, in terms of, particularly in terms of television, which still like their women to be younger than their men. Uh, it's changing, but you know, that is still a thing. Um, slowly, slowly changing. Exactly. So, yeah. um, you know, there's that side of it where I think, well, I could have had another 10 years before I had to worry about that, but you know, it is what it is. There's no point in, and and I believe that those years of working in the real world made me the comic that I am. And I don't think I would have been able to, you know, have that sort of um, relatability maybe if I hadn't, you know, worked a proper yeah. job and 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 done normal things. Yeah, and for the for the audience who don't know much about your pre comedy life, mm-hmm. so you were in social work. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so well, I started off. I I did like a linguistics degree at university, and then went. Now what am I going to do? 
Um, and uh-huh. I, I, I used to work in a, I worked in a nursing home while I was doing my undergraduate degree. So then I, um, I thought, well, I'll train as a nurse. So I went and did my nurse training and I was nursing for a bit, but I actually preferred the, um, social care side of things. Really. I found that I, I did nursing. I liked nursing, but it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, so I sort of retrained and I went into working in the community. So I worked in mental health, mostly um in outreach homelessness things like that um in uh, london mostly um and then down here in brighton a little bit um yeah worked various jobs in social care so i yeah did outreach programs and i was a mental health specialist um so working with homeless amazing. people with, with mental health and substance misuse and things like that yeah amazing and you then in terms of your comedy journey is this right that you were actually a comedy booker before becoming a comedian yourself I was, yeah. So what happened was I used to do a lot of uh, like community theatre and Amdram and things like that. That was my little creative outlet. And I was very involved with a theatre group um, in London. I was living in South London and it was a group called uh, South London Theatre because it didn't have a very imaginary name. But um, uh, so I was involved with them and and they were brilliant community theatre. I do recommend it if you're into that sort of thing. And the guy I was uh, with at the time, he was a sort of uh, wannabe stand-up. And so we decided to start running a charity comedy night. We just really loved comedy. We were comedy nerds and it just meant we could get comedians to come along and and do stuff. So we did that for a bit there. And then we split up and I moved to Brighton. I decided to start my new life in Brighton. And long story short, in Brighton, I started running a comedy night again because I was just a comedy nerd. I, it never occurred to me at that point that I'd ever actually do it. Um, mm. So I used to run a night called The Funny Farm. And uh, my regular MCs were um, this is true, were, were Josh Widdicombe, James A. Castor and Joel Domit. Whatever happened to them? Wow. Uh, I wow. had a good taste. Yeah. And, uh, I was going to say, it just shows you've got a great eye. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, so I did that for a bit. And then in 2008, I think it was, yeah, it was, my my dad, who used to come to all the comedy nights that I put on because he loved comedy as well. Um, and he died very suddenly. He was only 60 and he had a heart attack and died. And something like that happens and it just makes you go, do you know what? Life's too short. What is it you really want to do? And my dad had said to me, because I used to perform in theatre, in plays and stuff, you know, in community theatre. And uh, and my dad always used to say, oh, you should try stand up. And I was like, oh, don't be stupid. I can't do it. And then when he died, I was like, you know, that is what you want to do. Why don't you have a go? And I did a, I did a stand up comedy course. I did the Jill Edwards course at Comedia in Brighton. And yeah, highly thought of. Highly thought of. Lots of people have done it. Jimmy Carr did that one. Um, who else? Did Sean Walsh, Simon Evans, Shappy Corsandi. She's got a really good wow. hit rate. Um, and the main reason I did a course rather than just doing it was because I'd been booking gigs. I knew a lot of comedians. And I was like, I don't want to just go and make an arse of myself in front of all these people I know, you know, and turns out I'm yeah. not very good yeah. at it. So, so I did the course. It's like a 12-week course on a Saturday afternoon. So I did that. And then uh, started doing open spots. And that so that was 2009 I did the course. And it was about six months later I started sort of doing the open mic circuit, maybe beginning of 2010. Um, and even then I was just like, you know, this is just a hobby, really. I was still running the other gigs. Um, yeah. And then I did the the New Comedy Award. I entered that and, and won it. And that was that, really. That was the point where it was like, oh, maybe, maybe you're all right at this. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, that's where we I think met, right, doing so. that. 
that that's exactly right yeah, yeah. yeah. um just to go back a bit to I, i'm intrigued because you said um you said it had never occurred to you to do stand up and then mm. it said you said that when your dad unfortunately passed away you said to yourself actually i do want to do that is i'm intrigued was it something you think that you were hiding from yourself somewhere deep down there something you like a uh, fear of failure which we all suffer from a yeah. lot um or or just like that you know kind of i've spoken before with some i guess about life resets when when big important things happen and getting to the kind of to-do lists of things that I may ne- you may never have got to otherwise. Yeah, I think there's an element of all of that. I think I've always been so I'm quite I mean my comedy is quite self-deprecating and there's a reason for that. That's because I'm not very kind to myself a lot of the time. And I loved comedy, but I you know, it was for those clever people that do that, right? It's those clever funny people and it never I just never saw myself as being capable of that even though it you know, I am. Um because that's exactly how I think of it as well, you know. I I, yeah. I think of it as, you know, if you're going to get to the top, you have to be so, so intellectually clever in my head. Right. That that's not something that I could personally achieve. That's, that's really interesting that you feel the same way. Definitely. And, and you know, I just didn't have that self-confidence to... I was always sort of quite happy on stage and I, I would happy perform scripts that other people have written, but the thought of writing, being clever enough to write something myself and perform it just hadn't... and. It was only, like I say, when my dad died and and I'm, it does make something like that happens. It makes you really go, right, are you on the path you want to be on? Because, you know, my dad died at 60. I was 31 when he died. So I was like, I could die at 60. And that means I'm over halfway through already. You know, I need to really mm. think about what I'm doing in my life and if it's what I want to be doing. And, um, and, and I thought, well, look, I've got nothing to lose by doing this course. And actually, the <laughs> funny story about that is... Because at the time I didn't have much money and I was working for, I'd moved to Brighton and I was working for a homeless charity in Brighton and and I'd taken quite a significant pay cut because there just wasn't much work down here and I just didn't like commuting to London anymore. So I wasn't earning very much money, but I was happy, but you know, and I I really wanted to do the Jill Edwards course, but I couldn't really afford it. And um, I remember talking to my boss at work about it. And she said, because the job I was doing, I was a little bit overqualified for. And so um, she said, look, you've got a training budget here, but you've sort of done all the training that you need to do. Why don't you, you know, take your training budget allocation? And I reckon I can make a case that you could do, we can pay for you to do this stand-up comedy course because it'll help when you have to give presentations and things and help with confidence and stuff like that. So my actual, my job paid for me to do I think they might have paid half of it. They might not have paid the full whack. Right. I can't remember now, but they certainly contributed towards me doing the stand-up comedy course. Of course, probably not thinking that yeah. I'd end up just leaving them and being a full-time comic. <laughs> but none of us they thought that would happen. Basically, yeah. Maybe that was just their subtle way of doing it, of getting rid of me. <laughs> but yeah. That's, fair. that's But that's a really lovely story because, um, mm. God, just having done... Uh, proper jobs myself it's so rare that people are that supportive about anything you do within the job let alone kind of extracurricularly yeah um really kind yeah it it was a really lovely organization I worked for then actually it's called um business action on homelessness and it was working with people who had been homeless and were trying to get back into housing and employment and um the manager there was this wonderful woman her name was um, Bunty Dan, which I think is the best name oh, in the world. Wow. 
and she was bunty bunty right i mean amazing love it but she really um just valued people you know she was the best manager i've ever had in any job i've ever had and just wanted everyone around her to fulfill their potential she was incredible and if it wasn't for her i wouldn't be sat here now i've no doubt yeah. about that because she a helped me to be able to afford to do that course and b went yeah i think you should do it i think you'd be good at it go and do it um amazing you know I, and if I you actually, hadn't i yeah I, mean, I actually think it's worth maybe going into a little bit um about comedy courses because mm -hmm. i don't think i have with any of my guests on here and sure. certainly from personal experience because i did the amu uh, the amuse moose course with logan murray oh yeah back in two back in 2007 and certainly in terms of, you know, my my friends, they always will take the piss out of me and say, oh, you went on a course to learn how to be funny. <laughs> and then a lot of other people will be like, well, what actually happens on a comedy course? The way I always describe it is um, in terms of what I learned, it was kind of more learning what not to do. Yeah. Um, and obviously techniques in terms of how to get material out of yourself and write but yeah. the main part being that at the end of the course you have to do five minutes on stage which i think is the very key part for me which is i probably would never have done it unless it was for that i mean did you find a similar yourself absolutely i i think that you know if a stand-up comedy course could make you funny and make you a stand-up comedian then there would be a million stand-up comedians um you know the course that i did there were 35 of us on that course and i'm the only one who's still doing it uh, oh no, there's two of us. There's me and, uh, and Adrian Coles is still doing it as well. Um, so you know, you have to have something I think in you that that is funny or is has a sort of natural ability. Um, I think what a course can do is it can get that out of you. Um, you know, so it can give you the skills to go right. How do I approach? Like, like gives you writing exercises and things like that. So you're not just sat with a blank bit of paper going, where do I start? You know, it exactly, gives you yeah. the, the sort of framework to do it in. And also, I always say, I think what that course did for me was probably took two years off the open mic circuit for me, where other people, if you go straight onto the open mic circuit, you have to learn by trial and error and just silly things like how to hold a microphone, where to hold it, you know, how not to fiddle yeah. with the microphone cable, to stand still, how to, uh, you know, to look at the audience and not at the floor. Um, you know, all those little bits of stagecraft that you would pick up as you went along, but wouldn't necessarily be instinctive. That they're, they're the things sure. that you can learn. So I don't think it can turn anyone into a comedian. Otherwise it, it would turn everybody who does the courses into a comedian and it doesn't. Um, but I think if you've got something, then what the course can do is bring it out of you and, and just yeah. give you the skills you need to take that further. So and and what is it what is it particularly about the course you did and your course leader whose name I've now forgotten that makes her have such a great hit rate? It's Jill Edwards. Is I I mean I love Jill. Again, I wouldn't be sat here without Bunty Dan and Jill Edwards. I wouldn't be sat here talking to you. Um, <laughs> Jill has this. It's so hard to explain how she does what she does because there's something about Jill that just a it draws it out of you and b she doesn't bullshit you. Like she gives it to you straight you know and yeah. you have two choices on her course you either take her advice or you don't you know and if you don't that's up to you but you know don't waste your money um what you can't do is go on her course and think you know better than she does because you don't um you know when you're starting out and I think I've seen a lot of people that that have been on the course and come in and because she has quite what, what she does she teaches you how to get your first sort of three minutes together 
and gives you these skills and these writing exercises and stuff. And there are certain rules in comedy. And, you know, however much you think you might be a, a rule breaker and a maverick and yeah, but I'm Stuart Lee. It's, it's, I always say you can't be Picasso until you've learned to be a fine artist, right? Like you can't go straight to right. the abstract without getting the tools to do the job. So, um, you know, anyone, Tony Law, for example, who's a brilliant surrealist comic, he started off doing straight stand up. Yeah. He had to learn his chops before you can play with it. And that's what I think you can get from a course. You learn the skills, you get the, the tools. And then when you finish the course and you go out into the real world, then you decide how to use those tools and what you're going to make with them. Hi guys, thanks so much for listening to the first part of this interview with comedian Angela Barnes. I think she's a really fascinating guest uh, and gives a really good insight into what it was like for somebody who had a career already and uh, made the break for her dream to do something that she'd always wanted to do and uh, really made a success of that, winning awards and becoming a mainstay on television and radio in the UK. Um, please uh, do go over to part two to hear her carry on talking a lot more about uh, things like how she deals with online trolls uh, and plans that she has for the future as well as our usual a little quick fire round at the end. Please do, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, subscribe to it, uh, leave us a comment and a rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be really helpful. And yeah, hope you enjoy part two. Thanks a lot. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.